Well, hello again, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I am Nurse Mo, and as always, super excited that you're here with me today. We're going to be diving into rheumatoid arthritis, and this is a really big topic. So if you have not yet subscribed to the Power Guides, which gets you a downloadable study guide to go with this lesson, I want you to check that out now. Look in the episode notes for that link, and you can get a downloadable study guide every week with the Straight A Nursing Podcast. Now, before we dive into this big and meaty topic, I do want to take a quick moment to give a quick listener shout out. And this one came through, I believe, on a podcast review, I think Apple Podcasts. So the username is Rising Dawn. So this one is from Dawn, and she says, Nurse Mo, thank you for supporting me through years of wondering if I should study nursing. I will be starting nursing school this summer. Your podcast is always with me. My youngest hums the opening tune on my way to the bus stop, and my eight-year-old perks up for pod quizzes on our commute. I love the efficiency of slaying mundane chores while learning how to navigate the world of nursing with valuable advice from someone that not only survived, but thrived through it all. Thank you again for all your hard work. I've got this because I have you. So thank you, Dawn, for sharing that. I'm so, so proud of you for going for it. And even though you were kind of unsure as you were thinking about going into nursing, I'm humbled and honored that my little podcast helped you decide to follow your dreams. So congratulations, and I am wishing you all the very best. Okay, ready to dive into rheumatoid arthritis. So rheumatoid arthritis, or as it is sometimes abbreviated, RA, is an autoimmune condition in which the patient's own immune system attacks healthy cells inside the joints, leading to an inflammatory state. While the exact etiology of rheumatoid arthritis is unknown, it's thought to be a combination of both genetics and the environment. A study conducted in 2021 found that close to 33% of RA cases could be attributed to modifiable risk factors, obesity, smoking, and alcohol consumption. So let's talk very briefly about rheumatoid arthritis pathophysiology without getting too far into the weeds. So in rheumatoid arthritis, immune cells attack the synovium, causing it to become thick and inflamed. And this inflammation leads to that classic symptom of having those painful, swollen, and red joints that are difficult to move. Recall that the synovium is what surrounds joints and produces the synovial fluid that allow for joint movement. So as the immune system attacks the synovium and immune complexes develop, vascular permeability increases and this inflammation triggers further destruction of both cartilage and bone. And this destruction is done by cells called fibroblast-like synoviocytes. And I'm probably not saying that right. Fibroblast-like synoviocytes. Let's say that again. Fibroblast-like synoviocytes. Let's just call those FLS. So these FLS can migrate to other joints 
can invade tendons and cartilage and even stimulate osteoclasts to further destroy bone. So who is most at risk for rheumatoid arthritis? The non-modifiable risk factors are that rheumatoid arthritis risk increases with age and that women are three times more likely than men to develop the condition. Additionally, patients with a family history of rheumatoid arthritis are at higher risk, as are those with HLA class 2 genotypes. Now, what about the modifiable risk factors? Those include cigarette smoking, and interestingly, so can exposure to secondhand smoke in childhood. Periodontal disease is another one because of all that inflammation, obesity, and alcohol consumption. Now, the reason we get so concerned about rheumatoid arthritis is because there are a lot of complications, and the complications actually go pretty far beyond the damage it causes to the joints. So the inflammation associated with RA can affect the lungs, the heart, the blood vessels, the skin, and the eyes, with the cardiovascular system being the most commonly affected. Chronic inflammation is thought to increase the development of atherosclerosis, and rheumatoid arthritis patients are at higher risk for heart failure, heart disease, coronary artery disease, and arrhythmias. Another complication is lung disease, which may be caused by the medications used to treat rheumatoid arthritis. This can include pleuritis, pleural effusions, pneumonia, and interstitial fibrosis. Something we'll talk about in a moment are nodules that can occur under the skin. These nodules can occur in the lungs as well. Another complication is simply weight gain due to the pain of exercising, and this may lead to diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, and heart disease. Chronic inflammation contributes to the development of insulin resistance, which then leads to the development of type 2 diabetes. Rheumatoid arthritis and treatment with corticosteroids can lead to osteoporosis. In fact, patients with RA are 60 to 100% more likely to have an osteoporotic fracture when compared against individuals without the condition. Immune dysfunction and immunosuppressant medication both put the patient with RA at higher risk for opportunistic infections. Depression is often seen in patients with debilitating physical issues, and other complications include lymphoma, periodontal bone loss, and anemia. Lastly, patients with rheumatoid arthritis are more likely to be unemployed due to the physical limitations of the disease. Now that you know a little bit of the background and basics about rheumatoid arthritis, let's go through caring for these patients using the straight A nursing latte method. So the L stands for look. How does the patient look? What are the signs and symptoms? The classic symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis are swollen, warm, and painful joints that are usually more stiff in the morning or after periods of inactivity, such as sitting for a long time. The patient may report that the symptoms started in smaller joints, such as the hands, and then progress to knees, ankles, wrists, shoulders, and even the hips. Usually, the symptoms will appear in both joints bilaterally, for example, both knees or both wrists. 
Now, the patient with RA will have flares or exacerbations where the symptoms are worse for a period of time. And in advanced cases, the joints will appear deformed and are especially noticeable in the hands. Other signs and symptoms include musculoskeletal symptoms such as reduced grip strength, those nodules under the skin that I mentioned earlier, swollen joints that feel boggy upon palpation, and muscle weakness. This can be due to synovitis in the knee, which causes that quadricep weakness, or it could be due to corticosteroids such as prednisone. For a review of corticosteroids and all the side effects that they cause, go and listen to episode 84. Integumentary symptoms include skin ulcers. Usually these occur on the lower limbs, dry mouth, and even gum inflammation. Now looking at the blood vessels, they can also be affected. Things you might see there are venous stasis, vasculitis, and arterial insufficiency. These can all contribute to the development of skin ulcers. In the respiratory system, you may see shortness of breath secondary to lung inflammation or those lung complications we talked about earlier. With the eyes, you may see dry eyes and redness in the eye. And then other signs and symptoms are a low-grade fever, depression, and anemia. The patient is also likely to be fatigued, and fatigue can be caused by dealing with chronic pain, having difficulty sleeping, having anemia, emotional stress, and physical decline. So the next letter in the LATTE method is A, and that stands for assessment. What are we going to do to assess our patient? So your priority assessments for someone with rheumatoid arthritis are going to be to assess the patient's joints for swelling, deformity, tenderness, morning stiffness, and range of motion. Other key assessments include performing a thorough pain assessment. And I always advise students to use the PQRST format. That way you don't leave anything out. So the P stands for provocation and palliation. What causes the pain to occur? Does anything make it better? Q is for the quality of the pain. Ask the patient to describe it using adjectives. R is for radiation. Ask the patient, does the pain radiate anywhere? S is for severity. You can use a 0 to 10 pain scale for this. And then T is for time. Does the pain get worse or better over time? And how long have you had this pain? You want to assess the patient's level of fatigue and ask about their sleep habits. Ask the patient about their ability to perform ADLs or observe their ability to perform their ADLs. Ask about their ability to engage in physical activity and even perform their work duties. You want to weigh the patient to assess for weight loss, which can be due to rheumatoid arthritis and a lot of times due to the medications we use to treat rheumatoid arthritis. Assess the patient's gait as part of a fall risk evaluation. Those painful hips, ankles, and knees might make it difficult for the patient to walk effectively. And evaluate any other body system that is exhibiting symptoms, such as the skin. Do they have skin ulcers? If their lungs are involved, you'll do a respiratory assessment. If the eyes are involved, etc. 
Now, the next letter in the latte method is a T, and that is for tests. What tests are utilized in rheumatoid arthritis? So when rheumatoid arthritis is being diagnosed, you'll notice that there's not like one specific test for RA. Diagnosis can be challenging and relies on a combination of lab tests, the patient's symptoms, the patient's history, and ruling out other potential causes such as lupus, fibromyalgia, and Sjogren syndrome. So some specific tests that could be done for your patient who's looking like they may have rheumatoid arthritis are rheumatoid factor. This antibody is present in about 80% of individuals with RA. However, just because it's there does not mean it definitely is diagnostic for rheumatoid arthritis. It can be present in other conditions. Another test is the anti-nuclear antibody, or ANA. Now, a positive ANA is definitely suggestive of rheumatoid arthritis, but on its own is not definitive for diagnosis because other conditions can cause an elevated level. Then there's the erythrocyte sedimentation rate, or ESR. It's going to be elevated in inflammatory states, including RA. C-reactive protein, or CRP, is another blood test that will be elevated in inflammatory states. Anti-citrullinated peptide antibodies, or ACPA, this is a test that is going to be positive in most people who have rheumatoid arthritis, and it can be positive even long before symptoms develop. It is considered to be more sensitive for rheumatoid arthritis than the rheumatoid factor antibody test. A CBC will be done because patients with RA will often have elevated white blood cells during a flare. They may have anemia, like chronic anemia, and possibly also thrombocytosis. Recall that thrombocytosis is an elevated platelet count. Platelets tend to be elevated in cases of inflammation. The patient will also get liver and kidney function tests. These tests are conducted to rule out other causes for the patient's symptoms and if the patient is being treated with rheumatoid arthritis medications, which we'll talk about in a moment, doses may need to be adjusted based off renal and hepatic function. Imaging studies include x-ray, ultrasound, MRI. So imaging studies are utilized to assess joints for the changes associated with rheumatoid arthritis. Many times patients will have osteopenia joint space narrowing, and erosion of bone and cartilage. Additionally, an MRI could show thickening of the synovium. And then we might want to examine the synovial fluid itself. The synovial fluid could be evaluated to rule out other causes such as an infectious arthritis or gout. In rheumatoid arthritis, the synovial fluid usually shows the presence of leukocytes. So the American College of Rheumatology has developed a diagnostic criteria that scores the patient in a few key areas after ruling out other potential causes for the symptoms. So they'll be scored on how many joints are involved, how many joints have joint pain and swelling and all those symptoms. The rheumatoid factor antibody test, is it positive or negative? ESR or CRP, which again would show inflammation. 
and symptoms lasting at least six weeks. So as you can see from the scoring criteria, it's not just one test. It takes a lot of different things into account. So the next letter in the LATTE method is T for treatments. What treatments are being utilized for rheumatoid arthritis? So this is where we're going to get a little bit deep and where you're going to wish you had that power guide. So while there's no cure for rheumatoid arthritis, there are several treatments available that can help control synovitis, that can help prevent joint injury, reduce long-term complications, and even achieve remission. When treatment is started early, there's a better chance the patient will respond well to therapy due to the fast-moving nature of the disease. Treatments for rheumatoid arthritis are broad and include medications, rest, exercise, and nutrition. So pay attention, and we will do some pod quizzing at the end of this episode and go through some of these medications. The general therapy for rheumatoid arthritis typically includes the use of a DMARD, which is a disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drug, along with an NSAID or a corticosteroid. So let's first talk about NSAIDs because they're usually what is prescribed first. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs reduce inflammation while providing analgesia for that joint pain. Again, they're going to typically be started early to control symptoms as it takes several weeks for the patient to respond to DMARD therapy. NSAIDs should be taken with food to minimize gastric upset, and they can increase the risk for bleeding and increase the risk for the development of peptic ulcers. Examples of NSAIDs are ibuprofen, naproxen, and meloxicam. Next, we have corticosteroids. And again, if you want to learn more about corticosteroids, go back and listen to episode 84. Now, corticosteroids are also used along with DMARD therapy and may be used instead of or in coordination with NSAIDs. It depends on how the patient responds. Patients taking corticosteroids should be monitored for adverse effects, including hyperglycemia, hypertension, risk for infection, poor wound healing, and osteoporosis. Corticosteroids are not really intended for long-term use because, as you can see, those side effects are not great, and they should be tapered off as soon as feasible and never, ever, ever, ever stopped abruptly. Examples of corticosteroids are prednisone and methylprednisolone. Now let's get into the mainstay of rheumatoid arthritis treatment, which are DMARDs, disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs. So DMARDs are immunosuppressive and immunomodulatory medications that interfere with pathways in the inflammation cascade. Studies show that rheumatoid arthritis is most susceptible to these medications early in the disease and that response rates tend to decrease over time, which is why it is recommended that DMARD therapy be started early. Note that patients taking DMARDs will be at higher risk for infection due to their immunosuppressive effects. DMARDs can generally be divided into three main categories. 
non-biologic or traditional DMARDs, biologic DMARDs, and targeted synthetic DMARDs. Some commonly used non-biologic DMARDs or the conventional or traditional DMARDs are methotrexate, hydroxychloroquine, sulfasalazine, and leflunamide. And that might be the last time I try to say drug names because they start to get a lot more complicated after this. So methotrexate is the first medication typically used, the first DMARD used, which has faster onset and lower toxicity than other DMARDs. Methotrexate is given weekly, PO or sub-Q, and increased in dose as tolerated. It is contraindicated in pregnancy and breastfeeding and comes with a pretty long list of side effects such as nephropathy, anorexia, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, anemia, leukopenia, and thrombocytopenia. Trust me, there were more, but again, it's one of the best tolerated DMARDs. Hydroxychloroquine, which goes by the brand name Plaquenil, is an anti-malarial agent that has anti-inflammatory properties. Patients who are getting this medication will receive routine eye exams due to the risk of vision loss and should be monitored for cardiomyopathy and QT prolongation during the initiation of therapy and periodically throughout. Now, sulfasalazine, which goes by the brand name azulfidine, is typically utilized in patients who did not respond to or who cannot tolerate NSAIDs. This medication can cause crystals to form in the urine, so instruct the patient to drink plenty of water. And then the other traditional DMARD I mentioned was leflunamide. It goes by the brand name Areva. Hope I'm saying that right. And leflunamide decreases pain and inflammation to slow progression of the disease and improve physical functioning. Common adverse effects are headache, dizziness, diarrhea, nausea, alopecia, and rash. Now, biologic DMARDs are produced by recombinant DNA technology and are typically used when those conventional DMARDs fail or may be used in combination with something like methotrexate. Some biologic medications target tumor necrosis factor, or TNF, while others target different molecules. Common side effects from these medications include GI upset, fatigue, and headache, though there are many more and vary from one medication to another. Biologic DMARDs are given via infusion, and some are given via sub-Q injection, and include a whole bunch of drugs. I'm going to try to say a few of these for you. One is a Tenercept, which you might recognize from the commercials with the brand name Enbril. And then all of the others end in the suffix MAB. So we have infliximab, adalumumab, rituximab. So if you see a drug that ends in MAB, it could be a biologic DMARD. And then we have targeted synthetic DMARDs. These target different pathways than the biologics I just mentioned and are indicated in moderate to severe disease for patients who are not responding to conventional DMARDs. Now, like other medications in this general class, these medications put the patient at high risk for infection, including tuberculosis. These medications are given PO and include 
medications that end in nib, N-I-B. One example is tofacidinib. So it ends in N-I-B. So if you see a drug that ends in that suffix, think targeted synthetic DMARD. Because of the many adverse effects of DMARDs, patients should have baseline blood tests done prior to starting therapy to assess for things like anemia, renal function, and hepatic function. They should also have an eye exam conducted if starting on hydroxychloroquine because it can cause damage to the eyes, and they should be screened for tuberculosis as well as hepatitis B and C. In addition, patients starting DMARD therapy should receive all recommended vaccinations prior to starting the medications. Another type of medication used in rheumatoid arthritis are pain medications. During rheumatoid arthritis flares or exacerbations, the patient will likely need something to help with pain. Common pain medications include acetaminophen, tramadol, and a topical solution called capsaicin. Opioids such as oxycodone and hydrocodone may be used in severe cases. And then we have supplements. Supplements may be utilized to help with inflammation and stiffness. Because herbal supplements can interact with many medications, always advise patients to discuss them with their physician before taking. Common supplements used in rheumatoid arthritis include curcumin, which is turmeric, green tea, ginger, and omega-3 fatty acids in the form of fish oil capsules. Another key treatment for rheumatoid arthritis is rest and exercise. Exercise is really important for maintaining a healthy weight, maintaining muscle mass, and even reducing joint pain. Low-impact activities are encouraged, such as swimming, walking, and bicycling. It's also really important that patients balance exercise with rest to reduce fatigue and joint inflammation. And then physical therapy and occupational therapy. These may be utilized as needed to promote functional independence. Now let's talk a bit about some key nursing interventions. Much of your nursing care for a patient with rheumatoid arthritis will focus on addressing pain and inflammation. So interventions include providing heat, providing cold for pain relief. Heat tends to help with stiffness, and cold tends to help with inflammation. Encourage your patient to eat all of their meals, and if they can't eat all of their meals at once, small frequent meals can help to prevent unwanted weight loss. We want these meals to be high in vitamins, protein, and iron. You'll also be assisting the patient with self-care and ADLs as needed, but at the same time promoting their independence as much as possible. Encourage your patient to perform range of motion exercises, especially of those affected joints. And if they're not able to do that, you can provide passive range of motion for them. And then you want to cluster your nursing care, giving the patient opportunities to rest. So the final letter in the LATTE method is E, how do you educate the patient about rheumatoid arthritis? In addition to teaching the patient how to take their medications and what to watch for, which can vary depending on what medications they're taking, your teaching can also include 
teaching the patient how to use heat and cold to address pain effectively. A hot shower in the morning is great for that morning joint stiffness, and pain in the hands could be treated with a heating pad or hot paraffin treatments. Additionally, swelling can be addressed really easily with ice packs. Teach the patient to receive appropriate vaccines on schedule to reduce the risk of infectious disease, which is increased with immunosuppressive therapy. Some medication therapies will require the patient to avoid live vaccines, so instruct them to always check with the rheumatologist in advance. And if they can get vaccines before starting DMARD therapy, that's great. Teach the patient that gentle exercise can help and should be continued even through a flare. Now, many medications for rheumatoid arthritis come with a heightened risk for infection. So teach your patient basic infection control measures such as proper hand hygiene, avoid being around others who are ill, and wearing a mask when appropriate in public, such as when in a confined space, such as a subway. Because patients with rheumatoid arthritis are at higher risk for cardiovascular disease, teach patients strategies to reduce their risk, such as smoking cessation, exercise, maintaining a healthy weight, and reducing cholesterol levels. Teach patients that good posture and body alignment can help protect joints. If the patient is taking DMARDs or corticosteroids, advise them to wear sunscreen or avoid sun exposure to prevent really bad sunburns and rashes. If taking DMARDs, advise the patient to speak to their prescriber before taking a proton pump inhibitor such as pantoprazole or protonics, as these medications can increase the risk of the DMARDs adverse effects. Some DMARDs, such as methotrexate, can cause liver damage. Teach the patient to avoid alcohol and to report any signs of hepatotoxicity, such as jaundice, dark urine, and pain in the upper right abdomen. You also want to teach the patient who's taking a DMARD that they will get lab tests done routinely to monitor white blood cells, red blood cells, platelets, renal function, and hepatic function. They may also get routine tests to keep an eye on their inflammatory markers, their rheumatoid factor, those things. You also want to teach the patient strategies to protect the small joints, such as maintaining a neutral position when possible, carrying heavier items with the whole hands, with the whole arms, instead of just the fingers to avoid gripping items for extended period of time, like a steering wheel, and to avoid repetitive movements for long periods of time, such as writing or knitting. And lastly, teach your patients to decrease their modifiable risk factors with smoking cessation, maintaining a healthy weight, avoiding alcohol, and maintaining good dental hygiene. So that is our overview of rheumatoid arthritis. If you want to get all of this information in a succinct, downloadable study guide, I've included a link in the episode notes to Power Guides. So now let's do some pod quizzing. So I'm going to ask a question, give you a little bit of time to say the answer. It's really helpful if you can say it out loud, and then I'll tell you the answer. This is kind of like doing flashcards for your ears. 
in rheumatoid arthritis, the immune cells attack what part of the joint? The synovium. This is that area, that component that surrounds the joints. And what is the function of the synovium? What does it produce? It produces synovial fluid. Very good. Who is most likely to get rheumatoid arthritis? So the risk increases with age, and women are three times more likely than men to get rheumatoid arthritis. If you also said family history is at higher risk, and those with HLA class 2 genotypes, you get bonus points. Two of the modifiable risk factors are periodontal disease and obesity. What were the other two that I mentioned? cigarette smoking, and alcohol consumption. At what time of day are the joints more likely to be stiff in rheumatoid arthritis? In the morning, and you may have also said after periods of inactivity. Where do the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis typically start? In the smaller joints, such as in the hands. True or false, a positive ANA, anti-nuclear antibody, is definitive for rheumatoid arthritis diagnosis. That is false. In and of itself, all on its own, it is not enough to definitively say the patient has rheumatoid arthritis. C-reactive protein is elevated in what kind of state? Inflammatory states. Very good. If the synovial fluid is examined in someone with rheumatoid arthritis, what might you see in that synovial fluid? Leukocytes or white blood cells. What are the two actions that NSAIDs have with rheumatoid arthritis? What do they do for the patient? NSAIDs reduce inflammation and provide analgesia for the joint pain. What class of drug is going to put the patient at risk for hyperglycemia, risk for infection, osteoporosis, and poor wound healing? Corticosteroids. Very good. What is the first DMARD typically used in rheumatoid arthritis? Methotrexate. What medication is used for rheumatoid arthritis and malaria? Hydrocodone. 
hydroxychloroquine. Most of the biologic DMARDs end in what suffix? M-A-B, such as infliximab. The targeted synthetic DMARDs end in what suffix? N-I-B or nib, such as tofacitinib. If your patient is going to be started on this medication, they're going to get an eye exam first. Hydroxychloroquine. Very, very good. And last question. What's going to help with stiffness, heat or cold? Heat. Okay, good job. So you can kind of see how pod quizzing works. So if you like this style of active recall, then I want you to check out Study Sesh. There's about 120 lessons in study sesh. And I want to say most of them, at least 90 of them, are full-on pod quizzes about a wide variety of topics. Students use this all throughout nursing school and even to prepare for NCLEX. I've included a link in the episode notes for you to check that out. So I hope I see you back here next week. We're going to be going into the world of maternal newborn with neonatal abstinence syndrome. So I'll see you back here next week for that. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.